Mr. Soros, uh, you've pledged $50 million over 10 years to get this Institute for New Economic Thinking up and running. You've already got a couple more big donors on board. Uh, what is the purpose of this institute? What are you trying to accomplish? Well, uh, the crisis of 2008 has shown that the existing present interpretation of financial markets is flawed. Uh, the efficient market hypothesis, the rational expectations theory, actually is unsound, and it represents a, a, an unreal world, not the real world. So uh, we need to go back to the drawing board and rethink quite profoundly uh, our interpretation of markets. So the idea that financial markets automatically tend towards equilibrium actually is false. Markets are just as prone to produce bubbles as they are to go to equilibrium. Sometimes they do one thing, sometimes they do the other. Both are inherent, both are inside the system. And that needs to be, needs, forces us to rethink things quite fundamentally. Now, I have my own uh, interpretation, so I'm a protagonist in this search for a, a new paradigm, and at the same time, I'm a sponsor of the Institute, and that's a very, very tricky position to be in, um, and that's why I think it's very important that it's, the Institute should not be my creation, but it should have a broad financial base, and there will be a fundraising campaign, and my contribution is just the, the starting point, and I think there will be uh, other uh, uh, supporters coming in. Now, in your book about the crisis of 2008 and in your speech here at the inaugural conference of the Institute for New Economic Thinking, you talk about uh, quantitative methods. This is very important. Quantitative methods take, can't take into account uncertainties that can't be quantified. Things like credit default swaps, risk management practices produced by quantitative methods, you point out, played a nefarious role in the crisis of 2008. Are, as we take your, your view and, and the new paradigm you're trying to build, apply this to Greece. Is this what we're seeing now? Yes, in a very, in a very interesting way, yes. Because the prevailing view is that somehow markets reflect reality, that uh, they talk about price discovery, right? As if there was one correct price uh, that the markets discover. Nonsense. Uh, markets create reality as well as reflect it. And right now, they reflect uncertainty. And so you have a very high risk premium. And if you want to provide aid to, uh, to Greece to work its way out of a difficult situation, and the Greek government uh, has introduced measures that would bring down uh, the, the, the deficit from 12 or 13 percent to 8.7 percent. If they now have to pay this uh, uh, extra risk premium, they can't get there. They are in a trap. 
and which would drive them into depression. So uh, this is why they have to be given some help uh, uh, from Europe or, uh, or the IMF uh, at uh, concessional rates. Now, this runs into a, co a constitutional difficulty in Germany, which has, uh, I mean, the, and the whole construction of the, of, of the euro uh, says no bailout. It's part of the, of, of, of the constitution of the euro as well. And it was uh, interpreted in a narrow way by the German Constitutional Court. So uh, this is the, the difficulty. How do you provide that, uh, that, uh, that help now that things have gone wrong and the conditions that are supposed to prevail, namely uh, uh, budget deficit not more than 3%, when you are up to 12%, how do you get out of that hole, right? That's you have once you know that it requires uh, Greece to do its part and uh, the European the eurozone to do its part, uh, then you have to find uh, some kind of a temporary fix that allows uh, uh, Greece to get some support at a very low interest rate, and then it could dig itself out of the hole. Does the German hardline toward Greece make the Eurozone seem more fragile, or does it strengthen its future? This is the big question. Uh, is there a political will in Europe to hold Europe together? That's really, it's a make-or-break situation uh, for the Euro and, in fact, the European Union, uh, because the European Union has been brought about, uh, brought into existence by a very clever step-by-step -step way of setting limited objectives and a timetable, knowing that that will not be enough, that once you have taken that step, you'll have to take another step. And that's how step-by-step step Europe was created, and each time the political will could be uh, marshaled to make the next step. Now you, you have created the euro, which was by design an imperfect in, uh, currency because it had a common central bank, but it didn't have a common treasury. And that was a flaw that was recognized. I've talked about it. Lots of people talked about it. Now, now this flaw has, has uh, brought about a crisis. And now the question is, does Europe still have uh, the, the um, political will uh, to take the next step and have some arrangement uh, for uh, correcting imbalances when they arise? I'm going to ask you a question, very simple, and, let, and then we can move on from the Greece question. Uh, again, in your book and in many speeches, you've pointed out that the, the collapse of Lehman Brothers was really the event that, that pushed us over the edge, led to the financial abyss. Are people exaggerating to draw parallels with Greece? In other words, that if Greece were allowed to default, that this would have a similar cascading effect in Europe and perhaps in the rest of the world? No, I don't think they are ex exaggerating. 
because I, I think that is where, you see, uh, we are not really out of the crisis. Uh, we survived the, the default of Lehman by the authorities taking exceptional steps. Uh, but the imbalances which have caused uh, uh, the financial collapse have not yet been corrected. Uh, so, uh, and one of the imbalances actually is between creditor countries and and the borrowing countries, the debtor countries, and this was an issue that uh, uh, was at the foundation of the of the of the Bretton Woods institutions. Uh, so, just as the euro is shaky, the, the whole construction. Of the of of the IMF is also, because the because Keynes argued that there has to be some symmetry in between the responsibility of the of the creditor countries and the uh, debtor countries. That the creditor countries are also responsible if there are imbalances, whereas uh, the, all the all the penalties, all the discipline is imposed on the Debtor countries. Now, if you have a, a moment of insufficient demand, as you have right now, and then you impose discipline on the debtor countries and force them to cut their uh, uh, their budgetary their budgets, then you push yourself right back to where you were in the 1930s, and as if Keynes had never lived. And of course he did, and he pointed out that that uh, uh, you you have sometimes uh, conditions of insufficient demand, and you need artificial steps to stimulate uh, demand. Finally, what is George Soros's message to the world right now? If people are listening, what what do you want them to think about? What what are you trying to get out right now at this point in your life? Well, look, we've had a whole edifice of, ec of economic theory built on some assumption of perfect knowledge or some form, perfect information, perfect markets, tendency towards equilibrium. It's a false world. That's not the way the financial markets operate. Uh, there is an inherent imperfection in our understanding of reality that applies to market participants, to regulators, and to economists. And, but what is imperfect can be improved. And now that we see how the uh, false theory has created tremendous damage, uh, trillions of dollars of losses, it's really urgent to improve our understanding and rethink our, our view of the world knowing that whatever we think is bound to be flawed. George Soros, thank you for joining us from this inaugural conference of the Institute for New Economic Thinking. My pleasure.